Welcome into the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my two co-hosts, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and will be Michael Freer. This is episode number 24, the Tom Chambers episode. And tonight <laughs> we are joined by a special guest, ESPN NBA reporter, Om Young Masuk. Om, thanks for joining us and taking the time out of your night to be with us on the 48 Minutes podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. When I when I think of number 24, because uh, I'm from Washington, D.C., I think of former bullet Jeff Malone. Ooh, okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, who I like I, who that. Bruce would know, uh, one of the few guys, underrated, used to give Michael Jordan some issues defensively. Uh, then, of course, Michael would go off on the rest of the Bullets team. So. <laughs> Until he joined him. Yes, absolutely. Well, we'll go get right into our opening thought here. And Bruce, I'll let you lead us off on tonight's show. John Morant needed a wake-up call. Last Thursday, when we were planning 48 Minutes, the story of the incident at his house with the gun and the 17-year-old high school star broke. But we decided we needed to know more before we brought it up, so we put it on the back burner, hoping to learn more. Well, we learned much more in the past few days. I won't go through every incident, but they're pretty well known by now. But Ja is one of the top 10 biggest stars in the league. He needed a timeout. It hasn't been exactly clear who actually gave him the timeout, but he has said all of the right things since the Denver incident late Friday night. Maybe somebody had the come to Jesus talk with him, and good for him if he understands. And hopefully some of his friends and his high-profile father will receive the same message. Don't screw up Jaw's career with your poor decisions. And before we get to Ohm's opening thought, Ohm, you were with the Grizzlies last night in Clipperland. What was the vibe around the team? So I didn't get to go into the locker room, but at least I was there when Taylor Jenkins spoke, and I thought it was good to see them actually kind of address the situation. I was totally assuming that Taylor Jenkins would not even answer any questions. And at first he tried basically saying, I'm not going to go really into details, but and then he gave like a scripted answer about how they're going to support uh, John Morant. But I thought there was one word that they also said they were going to hold him accountable. And so at least gri the Grizzlies admitted there's something, there's an issue here. Uh, we need to work through it. We're not going to let Josh skate through it. We're going to help him through it. Um, so I thought that was good. And then he was asked by my colleague, Ramona Shelburne, uh, specifically about flashing the gun. And I thought it was important that Taylor Jenkins basically said, look, we don't approve of that. Uh, we certainly were, 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 you know, basically disturbed by it and something needed to be done. And he's seeking that type of help. So I thought on numerous occasions, the Grizzlies at least talked about it because it, it would have been very easy for the Grizzlies to just shut down all questions about it and say, hey, Josh said what he had to say. We have what he had to say and we're just moving on. I think they understand that there's a big issue there. And then for the team on the court, I mean, for the first like three and a half quarters, you couldn't tell that they were missing job. I mean, they, they scored 51 points in the third quarter against the Clippers. And then, of course, I think what you saw at the end, though, is what we're going to see a lot from the Grizzlies without John Moran. Yes, they were missing Dylan Brooks last night and Brandon Clark. But what we saw in the playoffs last year, and I was there, I covered Golden State uh, uh, Memphis in the second round. They are very good at basically getting into you and being tough and tenacious. But in those final three to four minutes during crunch time, clutch time, even with Ja, they have these moments where they're inexperienced. Without Ja, when Ja got hurt in the playoffs, 
Jaron Jackson Jr. as great as he can be leading up to that point, and that whole entire crew, they just look tight. They tighten up at the end there. They don't have a go-to guy, and teams get into them, and all of a sudden it looks like they're little, young, and inexperienced, and I think that's what we saw last night. And um, one quick follow-up question for you in regards to the John Morant situation. I'm curious whether or not you think he'll be suspended by the NBA in addition to the team suspension. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I think with the NBA, they're going to follow the lead. They will investigate, but also see what you know authorities are going to do in Colorado. Uh, I think they need more information. And I think as that more information comes out, then maybe they will. Um, I don't think this is going to be like you know the NFL, where sometimes Roger Goodell will decide things. Um, and, and then toward the end, I think Roger Goodell would wait and see, well, what's going to be the ruling from law enforcement, things like that. I think probably the NBA needs a little more information on that. I'd be a little surprised if John Moran came back after just two games. I would say that. I would totally agree with you there. Um, Sorry to kind of hijack your opening tip there, Ohm, by getting into John Moran, but what do you have for us here tonight? Um, I think we're in store for a crazy postseason. I think it feels very wide open, and this is why I felt like teams – at the trade deadline, really need to go all in because it's been a long time since we've kind of seen like a playoffs that's going to be wide open. We don't have a clear favorite. And for a long time entering the trade deadline, we thought that favorite might be the Boston Celtics. Now Boston's hitting some tough times. Milwaukee's playing very well, but Philadelphia's right there. But on in the Western Conference, while Denver has just absolutely been sailing and it's been smooth for them, I mean, I still don't. I still don't get the sense from other teams that that they fear Denver. And of course, I mean, I think that's I think Michael Malone would even tell you, yeah, of course, until we get there and we're able to break through, that probably is legit as good as they've been. So, look, you've got like, I think, three games that separate the three through six teams right now and seven and eight. And things are going to change. It's Dallas and the Clippers. I mean, like, you know, they're in the play in. So, like, yeah. who and then, and then Golden State, trust me, Golden State will be coming very soon. Even before the All Star break, I talked to some Western Conference coaches, and they were just like, Look, we don't, nobody really fears any one team that's at the top because there's a lot of parity, even as good as Denver is. But the team that people fear is Golden State because of the experience, the championship experience, and they know can, they can turn it on at any point. So I, I think it's going to be an absolutely incredible and wild ride in the Western Conference in the playoffs. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. As are we. I think it's going to be uh, a tight one down the stretch, and we're going to see a lot of movement in the next couple of weeks leading into uh, the playoff pitcher. We'll be... What do you got for us for opening tip? Oh, this is going to be a good one since I'm totally going against uh, Ohm's uh, last comment there about the Warriors. I'm, I love it. I'm of the belief right now, and I don't like to say it because I'm a big Warriors fan, but I think they're in trouble uh, <laughs> right now. I don't mean in trouble in terms of making the playoffs. I think they're they're pretty solid, in, and they're probably solid for getting into the uh, – avoiding the playing tournament. But – They just haven't been able to do it on the road, and they really haven't displayed the consistency that you'd want in a team uh, that's trying to win a championship. You know, they they go 5-0 and at their homestand, and and that's a great achievement, but in four of the games, they were down by uh, 12 points at least. In four of the five games, they had huge comebacks to win, and then they go on the road uh, over the weekend, take on the Lakers without LeBron, and they – 
can't uh, can't do anything with that one. They just haven't come up with. They really need a run, not a 16, 17 game win streak like the Bucks have, but they need to go on one of those runs to really uh, show to me that they're back. You know, they're only eight and twenty one when they're down at the half, which obviously when you're down, you're going to lose most of the time. But a year ago, they were 16 and 21. They were able to make, make adjustments and come back. They just haven't been able to. I know the injuries have been there. Curry's been out for a long time. Clay's looking really sharp. He's looking like one of my, uh, back to being one of the favorites players to watch in the league, the way he's shooting. And he's totally re- become just a three-point specialist almost in this stage of his career. But, you know, they need to go 13 and four the rest of the year to get to 47 wins which is kind of the barometer if you want to make the NBA Finals in a you know 82-game season over the last, what, 40 years. So I don't see 13-4 and four the rest of the way when they have so many road games coming up. So for me, they're going to get in the playoffs, but in terms of making a run in the playoffs, I think they're in trouble. Did, did you feel that way last year when they weren't going well before they turned things around? Uh, I didn't feel like I did this year, that's for sure. But uh, – they just haven't. There hasn't been a moment. There really hasn't been a moment where you look and go, "Okay, they're back." I know the homestand was was impressive to go five and zero when you need to go five and zero, but then you lose on the road. They're just they're terrible on the road. They're what seven, seven and twenty four on the road. It's to me, you got you just can't get it done on the road. I don't know how you're going to get into the playoffs and make that run. But uh, they were so impressive last year defensively the whole year. They were them and the Suns were the two best defensive teams all year, and they haven't they, on the road. They've really not shown it defensively. It's been a total flip flop home and road. So uh, if they can get going, they have chances the rest of the year with a lot of road games. I think they're I can't remember if it's seven home and ten on the road the rest of the way, but whatever they get, they have opportunities to get it going. They just I gotta see it first. And it's interesting about you mentioning the road the road concerns, because of course, at this point in the season where they're at in the standings, it's undoubtedly going to be a road series in the playoffs. When it comes to the first round, they're going to have to win on the road in order to, you know, get back into a position where they kind of have some leverage uh, in the uh, playoff pitcher. So I- I've got my concerns too, Ohm. I-, I think we've been talking about it all year, kind of just waiting for it, waiting for it. And we haven't really seen enough consistency, but uh, I think you guys both made some good points there. As for my opening tip, uh, I want to discuss Giannis's nearly triple-double last night uh, <laughs> as he was in Washington, D.C., and very late in that final closing seconds, he threw one off the bottom of the backboard there to record a 10th rebound, which was then rescinded today by the NBA. And uh, what, what I took away from that, being one of the biggest Giannis homers you'll ever meet, is the fact that this would have made – former wizard Andre Blotch, both proud and very jealous at the same time. And um, for those of you that might not have seen this YouTube clip in the past, I want you to go ahead and search Andre Blotch, the man who just wanted a triple-double. We don't have enough time in the show to discuss just how great it was, um, but do yourself a favor and be sure to check that out sometime. And um, as for Giannis, I mean, obviously, I think it was the right decision not to have uh, that count as his fourth triple-double on the year. Um, was a little surprised he, he of all players, would have tried that. But at the same time, I got a good chuckle out of it and uh, certainly brought back flashbacks of Andre Blotz trying to chase a triple-double back in the day. So uh, to all our listeners, go ahead and give that a YouTube search later on. 
after you listen to the show tonight. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get right into our first quarter here. And Ohm, since you're on the show and you are our Clippers expert, let's talk all things Clippers right out of the gates. You know, they've struggled since making some moves at the trade deadline. Just one in five after the break. What are some of the things you've been noticing from this team? And do you have any immediate concerns? The first immediate concern is the utter lack of defense from the Clippers. This is a team that's supposed to have two elite stoppers uh, in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And I think we're starting to see that elite stopper in Kawhi Leonard. Um, When he's challenging shots with his big hand, it is very disruptive. But he's certainly still building his way up. I mean, he has offensively looked incredible. Almost, I would say, back to Kawhi pre-ACL injury. Paul George actually told us last night that this was the first game that he's felt in a while where he felt healthy and was able to plant and and explode off of his knee. So um, that might explain why Paul's kind of been a little bit up and down. Last night, Paul George was terrific. If Paul George does not play like a superstar last night, we're talking about the Clippers having lost six in a row. We're talking about them being in an absolute disaster form because – That game last night was a must-win for them. They had not won since the All-Star break. It was getting worse and worse. And basically, they blew a 12-point lead or an 11-point lead with a 51-point third quarter to Memphis. And they're down 14 at the start of the fourth. I mean, it could not have gone any more disastrous for the Clippers had they lost that game, I don't know what we would be talking about them and where their season is. And granted, it's only one win. They could still follow us up with three more losses, but at least you feel like there's a glimmer of hope that they that maybe this is the thing that really set the alarm off for them and they start to turn their season around because earlier in the season, they were on a losing streak. Houston came in to L.A. They were going to play the Rockets on a back-and-back, one in L.A., one in Houston. Had they lost that game and Kawhi Leonard was hurt, I'm telling you, I don't know what would have happened to the Clippers as we know them because they would have been on this major slide. And you could tell in the locker room the vibes were not good. Like Marcus Morris had even said, we just show up on the court thinking we're going to win because everybody picked us to be these this championship team. And it doesn't work that way. And you could tell, like, there was just no leadership on the team. Something was wrong. Paul George ends up hitting this last second shot. They win. And then they turn things around. And last night was another example of that. But now we only have 15 games left in the season. So Defense has been really bad. Something Ty Lue's been working on on and every practice now. There really is no excuse for them to be giving up this many points. I think I think Memphis had 121 points with like nine minutes ago. Obviously, they gave up 176 to Sacramento in the second highest scoring game of all time. Um, they just in quarters just don't really seem to care and can't stop anyone, especially in that third quarter. They did the same thing in Golden State. They blew a lead in a matter of minutes to Golden State. So that is something that they really need to figure out. Um, and then I think, look, Russ, Russell Westbrook, he has actually done everything they needed him to do. If you were to tell uh, me or anybody else, is Russ going to not take bad shots? Is he not going to take that pull-up three with nobody else around him early in the clock? Is he not going to make crazy, terrible turnovers where basically like 80% of his turnovers were telegraphed or ended up uh, being, you know, an easy layup on the other end. Um, I would say, yeah, I don't know if he can, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain that, but he has done that now through, through, uh, through six games. He's been 
So I, I almost think at times they have to coax him to be more aggressive and take more shots. So he really has done his best to try to fit in. They got a lot of moving pieces, um, but I think if they can, they, they, they scored a lot of points. That's one thing. So they're showing that they can score a lot of points with a lot of teams. If they can get the defensive part of it, you know, and of course, if Kawhi can continue playing the way he is and stay healthy, they still can make noise in the playoffs. So they got off to a really rough start after Russ. You know, as you mentioned, they lost, uh, you know, five in a row. Russ is still new to the system, but he's been a turnover machine as he's yeah. been all season since arriving. He's got 26 and six games. That's more than four a game shooting just 28% from distance. Is he still adjusting to becoming a starter again, or is this who 34-year-old Russ is now? Well, I would say he's still athletic and still able to get to the rim. Um, he's not finishing, say, all the time, like maybe young Russ would. But also, he, you know, he still doesn't really know the whole offense or defense. I think he's still trying to learn the other guys on the team. He's only had a visa Zubats with him for two games. I think that actually might be a tandem that might work pretty well for them because um, Russ has always been good with his bigs. So I, I think, like, you know, he probably needs a little more time, and they're going to have a lot of practice time because the one good thing about the Clippers, they played an enormous amount of games before the All-Star break. I think they played something like 61 games before the All-Star break which means they have a lot more practice time down the stretch here, not as many games. That should be able to benefit them. The turnovers, it's its hard for me to describe. You don't watch them every night. You would think you see the box score. Like I think in his debut game, Russ had seven turnovers. Two of them came off like trying to actually set screens on the offensive end. They weren't like, like the Clippers at the time had a turnover problem. The whole team had 25 turnovers. And when they lost that game at Sacramento, where they blew this lead with four minutes to go. There was a stretch where they had four turnovers in a row. The first one was Russ, but then like two in a row were Paul George. Another one was like Norman Powell. Like Russ kind of isn't the, the he's, he has turnovers in the box score, but it's not like the turnover problem that I think we've seen uh, on the other side of LA with the Lakers. It's very hard to explain, but I think if you just look at the stat box, you'll say, oh, look, this is Russ turning the ball over like crazy. They haven't been as damaging, I think, as they've been in the past. And you hey, mentioned right. the Clippers. Go ahead, Will B. Oh, no, I'm, uh, thank you. I was just going to ask you, I mentioned at the beginning of last month how it was an important month for the Clippers, February, because they had no back-to-backs that month, and that meant a lot of opportunities to, to have Paul George and uh, Kawhi on the court at the same time. That's always a big deal on back-to-backs. Uh, Kawhi sits out at least one of the games and stuff. And they only went four and six. Do you look at that? I mean, it's a long season. Things go up and down. But that, to me, that was a real uh, a disappointment if you're looking at it from a Clippers standpoint, not to take uh, better advantage of that opportunity and go, you know, less than five hundred during that month. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's been a disappointing season for the Clippers. Um, I would say, at least in this like uh, one and five stretch they've had. They should have beat the Kings. They blew. A, they blew. Um, I want to say a twelve point lead in four minute with four minutes to go yeah. in regulation. Blew six point lead both overtimes in Denver. Uh, if they grab an offensive rebound in the final thirty seconds in regulation, they probably win that game before Jokic takes over again in the in the overtime and they lose that. Um, Golden State. They blew a twelve point lead in the third quarter. 
they probably didn't deserve to win that game. They just didn't have the right energy. But Sacramento, they should have won that game at Sacramento. Uh, they're up one, and a pass goes through Russ's hands. Uh, he just took his eyes off the ball. So they easily could be, you know, they easily could have had three of those games with a win there. So, and then if that happens, we're now talking to them about them probably completely differently than we are now. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I think somebody said this last night, maybe Kawhi said, look, I mean, we did come back from down 14 to win in the fourth quarter last night. But yeah, you guys put yourselves in that hole to get to that point. But I guess what Kawhi is saying is like, we at least we have the fortitude to do that. They easily could have just given up and then it would just been complete disaster. So this team does not do anything easily. Um, everything has to be done the hard way for them. I'm sure that's why you see Ty Lue as frustrated as he's been all season long. Um, and they still have a couple back-to-backs, which are going to be absolutely critical. One of them is at Portland. You know, Blazers and Dame, they're fighting for a playing spot. The last one in the season, I think, is at Phoenix. That could have to do with seeding. Who knows? Clippers tend to sit everybody out in that last game of the year or second to last game of the year, but they may actually need that. I mean, I, I it is unfathomable to still think of this team, though, as a play-in team because it's like uh, – <laughs> Everybody was picking them to win the championship when the season started. And I'm sure Steve Ballmer didn't envision all this money that he spent on his team, you know, would be a team that would be competing for a plan, but they've just had so many issues, so many injuries, so many, so much games missed. Now they're dealing with Norman Powell's injury. Who knows when he comes back? Um, they just have to hope that they're depth, but more, more important that Kawhi stays healthy and Paul George stay healthy. And that those two guys lead them out of it just like they did last night. Now, um, you mentioned Norman Powell just now, and of course, the the defensive concerns a little bit earlier. I got a question in regards to the Eric Gordon pickup and and getting Luke Kennard uh, out of town, which I thought was a, a head scratching move. A little surprised to to lose that type of premium shooter in Kennard. Um, we saw Eric Gordon start to kind of eat into Norman Powell's minutes before Norman got hurt there, unfortunately. Um, do you think that was more Tyron Lou playing with just his rotations and trying to figure out this new team with uh, Eric Gordon and uh, Mason Plumley on board? Or do you think that has anything to do with the defense? Just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on the arrival of Eric Gordon returning to the Clippers and then also Luke Kennard being shipped off to Memphis, another playoff team. So a couple things, one on the Kennard front, um, the one thing they had an issue with Kennard, I think, and they loved his shooting was that his defense was something that, you know, teams could actually like single him out and pick on him. Um, and I think they felt like they needed to get, they had like these three guard lineups that they would come off the bench with Reggie Jackson, John Wall, and Luke Kennard, and the Clippers would just absolutely get eaten up. Um, they would just basically lose those minutes. And so I think what they wanted to do was get bigger at guard and bring in a, a guard that could defend and hit outside shots. And I think that's why you saw them bring in Eric Gordon, somebody who was a veteran who couldn't be played off the floor, um, could still spread the floor for Kawhi and Paul George, and also stick up downhill and be able to drive to the basket. As far as eating into Norm Powell's minutes, I think it's it's actually, it, it, when Norm was healthy, um, I don't think he was really eating. I thought, I thought actually Eric Gordon was starting to lose minutes, and then they were starting to kind of bring him back a little bit into the mix, and that tie was really sticking with Norm Powell, even when Norm, Norm Powell was really starting to struggle right before he got hurt. Um, yeah. He was super hot for like a stretch there, I think in early February. And then all of a sudden, like he started to kind of get into like a little bit of a cold spell. 
Uh, and now Eric Gordon's almost like the perfect guy to slide in with Norm Powell out. Um, I, I think we still need to see how much Eric Gordon still has left in the tank because yes, while he didn't play a ton in Houston when they were rebuilding, he still has a lot of mileage on the, on those legs. Cause he, you know, went through all those playoffs when, when the Rockets were actually good. So um, I think that from that standpoint, that's now the sending Kennard to Memphis that actually almost yeah. burned them last night. Cause Kennard yeah. <laughs> hit a lot of threes. Um, but I think like they, there was Kennard was like in a, in a funk. He was in a shooting funk right before they traded him. And I think they kind of thought like, okay, we just need to get bigger. We need, we need to get a little steadier here. And then they just, you know, went with Eric Gordon at that time. Gotcha. Yeah. I was just real curious in the fact that they would send him to another playoff contender like Memphis who needed shooting uh, found out to be a, a very surprising move, but you know what you had to say about Eric Gordon and how he kind of fixed in this mix makes a lot of sense. As we get into our second quarter here, uh, another big topic in the West, of course, is Kevin Durant and Devin Booker teaming up in Phoenix. They led the Suns to victory on the road in Dallas uh, yesterday against Kyrie and Luka, a game that went down to the very end, including a last-second dust-up between Luka Doncic and Devin Booker. And kind of just wanted to get your thoughts into uh, Luka and and Devin Booker. They now have kind of a history uh, going back and forth, especially late in games. Uh, just your thoughts on on the overall game last night and, and those two kind of going toe-to-toe. When the trade first happened, I remember telling people that I thought, and I like Devin Booker, okay, and I like that he talks trash, but I remember <laughs> thinking Devin Booker is going to be absolutely insufferable now because he has Kevin Durant on his side, and Devin Booker talked a ton of smack already before getting Kevin Durant. Whenever the Suns and Clippers play, they would always get into it. There was one whole season where every single time they played, there was literally a near fight between Devin Booker or Paul George or Chris Paul and Devin Booker against Paul George. There was almost like a near scuffle, and it was always because Devin Booker was talking a ton of trash. And so now for Devin Booker to be talking trash to to Luka Doncic, which is hilarious to me, and Luka Doncic basically telling him, you know, shut the F up, um, it's so funny because Lucas sent them packing last year, but now all of a sudden you got Kevin Durant. Now all of a sudden you're going to talk a lot of trash to them, which I'm sure is how Luka Doncic is feeling. But man, I really hope we get another Phoenix Dallas playoff series. That yes. would be so much fun. Not, I'm sure it wouldn't be a lot of fun for Dallas because of Kevin Durant being on the other side, but at least Luca has Kyrie Irving to kind of help him out there. And I, I think it would be a great seven game series. But, yeah, I do think with Devin Booker now, you're going to see him. Th- this is just the beginning. I think you're going to see him talk a ton of trash with Kevin Durant on his side now. When I was looking at, at you know, the 2,000 replays of that thing that I watched yesterday, it almost appeared to me that Book was talking to the ref, unless it was no-look trash, because he might have been talking trash to Luca, but he was looking at the ref. I don't know. But uh, Booker has just been – ridiculous since KD's been on the team. I mean, his numbers are up like crazy numbers. I mean, he's averaging 36. His season average is 27. His rebounds are up. His assists are up. His field goal percentage is 56%, 50% from downtown. It seems that while others' numbers have gone down, you know, particularly Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, book his numbers are on steroids. I mean, yeah. how would we explain this? Bruce, What I mean, how are you going to defend them? Like, who are you going to send a double to? You're going to send a double to Kevin Durant because he's going to he's going to literally make 60% of his shots from the right. mid-range at seven feet tall. 
if you don't send the double to Kevin Durant and try to get the ball out of his hands, now you're leaving Devin Booker wide open. If you try to double Devin Booker, well, then Kevin Durant's wide open, and then Chris Paul's there to facilitate. I mean, it's going to be pick your poison. I actually think probably a lot of teams are probably going to double Kevin Durant and maybe try their take their chances with Devin Booker and hope Devin Booker misses. But this has to be Devin Booker's dream. He's going to get so much space now. He's going to get so much room to maneuver and operate. He probably feels so much freedom right now with Kevin Durant on the floor that you're going to see him shoot at a higher percentage. You really saw that uh, on Sunday with Kevin Durant's eventual game winner when Reggie Bullock wouldn't help off of uh, uh, Devin Booker on that play and get left Durant you know, open uh, t- exactly to your point. You're going to see that a whole lot. How can you, how can you leave Devin Booker open? Whatever it's, it's early. I get it, but three and zero with KD in there and the offense is clicking exactly as Phoenix would have hoped. They they're four of their four most efficient games offensively this year. Two of them have come in the last two games and let yesterday was probably wasn't even the most impressive performance to date. By them, it was the other day against the Bulls, who had it came in with a top five defense, and then the Suns go in and put a season high in efficiency on them. So it's really so far so good when you're Phoenix, and of all these trades that we talk about, and Kyrie goes here, and Russ goes here, and KD, the KD thing looks like uh, money well spent, or you know, pieces well spent to get uh, the difference maker. What? Could be another run to a finals for them. And Ohm, kind of just to follow up with uh, World B's comments there, it, barring the, the Suns stay healthy, would they be your favorites to win the title right now from what you've seen in just a couple of games with Kevin Durant on board? I'm looking at the standings now. Uh, you know, as of tonight, Phoenix is fourth. They're nine and a half games back at Denver but they have a legit shot at maybe getting to two. We don't know what's going to happen with John Morant, right? And Brandon Clark yep. is a significant blow to them. So they're really three games out of two. Um, man, Phoenix is going to be tough. I, I don't know who to I, – I, I would – yeah, I guess you you have to probably make them – I hate to say this because I feel bad for the Denver Nuggets. I mean, it's like, come on. Denver's having this great season, and I believe Jokic is – the three-time back-to-back-to-back MVP. So you're talking to someone who really does – I mean, I've, I've watched Jokic. I cover the Denver Nuggets in the bubble. Um, I do, uh, you know, some Denver Nuggets when I don't do the Clippers. So I believe in the Nuggets, but I just uh, – their defense is great. But, man, stopping Kevin Durant and Devin Booker is going to be really tough. Um, I think it's going to come down to the Suns and the Nuggets. I really do. I think it's going to be those two teams. But I do also think, just like I said at the start of the show, that I think it's going to be a wild playoffs. And so maybe we could see a lot of upsets. I'm hoping this is going to be like basically the NBA's version of, uh, well, it won't be March Madness, but it'll be like, I guess, April and May Madness. But um, I, I do think it's going to be crazy. So who knows? I mean, if Kevin Durant can stay healthy, if Devin Booker can stay healthy, uh, if Chris Paul can stay healthy, that to me is the big one for them. Yep. Uh, then, yeah, they, I think they're going to be in the Western Conference Finals at least. Yeah, to your point, um, talk about the the Suns' ability to move up. They're only, what, two games behind the Kings, and they got a big one on Saturday against them. And so far in two games, they've really, for as great as the Kings' offense has been, and we talk about the Suns' offense, they've really figured out, or somehow have figured out, how to keep the Kings relatively in check offensively. I think they've only 
allowed 110 points per 100 possessions against the Kings in two games. That, I mean, against Sacramento, that's the number one team on offense. That's pretty impressive. So you can certainly see see them moving at least past the Kings at some point eventually in this process. And, yeah, uh, Saturday's going to be a fun game. That, that could be another, uh, if the Kings get it going again, could be another uh, 140, 150-point game potentially. Absolutely. I mean, there's going to be a lot of trash talking that one too. De'Aaron Fox and Devin Booker. Um, you know, you're going to probably get a lot of a lot of uh, talking there because I mean, De'Aaron Fox and Russell Westbrook were talking all of the other game the other night between the uh, Clippers and Kings. Fox yep. and Booker, and, some Kentucky on Kentucky crime there. Absolutely. <laughs> Last note I have here before we get to our halftime break is Harrison Barnes going to earn his paycheck that night trying to handle uh, Kevin Durant because I don't think. Uh, Mike Brown's going to be putting his rookie and Keegan Murray on, on, on KD for a defensive assignment, but should be a lot of fun to watch on Saturday. And uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with our third quarter. And Ohm, we wanted to talk about the other team in LA, the Los Angeles Lakers, obviously, uh, Tons of storylines surrounding that team as well, all season long. Made some big-time pickups at the deadline as well. And kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on where you think they're at. Of course, they got some unfortunate news right after uh, All-Star break with LeBron James uh, going down with injury, being out a few weeks. And uh, so I just looking at this team right now, I mean, do you think they're going to make the playoffs or at least get a play-in opportunity? And, um, you know, what's the mood like in Los Angeles right now? Well, let me start off with a disclaimer. I thought last year there was no way they were going to miss the play-in game with Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the team. But I underestimated the vibe in that locker room the, on that roster. It just wasn't good. Um, I think it's completely different this year. I'm not with them every day, but just watching them – and seeing the type of personalities I think they have are probably a better fit. If Anthony Davis stays healthy down this stretch, and of course that's a big if with Anthony Davis, I definitely think they're at least a playing game, if not a playoff team. I mean, look, they're only like, well, they, they basically are tied for 10th right now, but due to tiebreakers are out. But they're really like two and a half out of six. And the way they're playing, the way they were able to hold off Golden State yesterday, I get it, Steph Curry just came back. But they're playing like a different team. They're playing like these, these pieces actually care together. Yep. They want to prove that they can make the playoffs. And I think Anthony Davis, if he plays like he's been playing and the way he played earlier to the season where he was an absolute monster, I absolutely think he can keep the ship afloat. If not, maybe have them right in the thick of things when LeBron James comes back. I don't think when LeBron James is reevaluated in a few weeks, it means he's necessarily coming back. Usually when you're reevaluated, it usually takes more time. Um, so we got to see how much time it is. But even if LeBron James, I don't know, if even if he comes back like the last week of the season or something like that, I kind of think the Lakers are going to be all right. I, I, I like the way they're playing. I like their spirit. I like how Darvin Ham is coaching them up. And if, like I said, if AD is able to stay healthy, I mean, they've been doing this without D'Angelo Russell. Like when D'Angelo Russell comes back, yeah, they should be even cool. better. So I, I like the Lakers' chances a lot. You know, they're two and two since LeBron went down. He's likely likely to miss at least two more weeks. But the team is home for another week for three games, Memphis, Toronto, the Knicks. And then eight of their next 10 are at home. 
And I believe that Rob Palenka and their management have done a really good job sort of retooling that team on the fly this year. And the guy that I think a lot of us on this show have been, you know, very complimentary about is Jared Vanderbilt. I mean, what a solid pickup he's been. Eight points, a little more than eight rebounds in nine games. Team is six and three in those games. And one of the really cool stats about him, all of a sudden he's learned how to shoot free throws. He was a 63 0.7% free throw shooter in his career. He's shooting 85.7% with the Lakers. I don't know. Is it a better shooting background at Staples for Jared? I mean, he's just been outstanding for those guys. Bruce crypto.com arena. Don't forget it. Uh, <laughs> Staples center to me. Home. I'm sorry. Um, look, I, I said this on, uh, I do a YouTube show with David Meneman who covers the Lakers. And I said, is it possible that, Rob Palinka got the best of Danny Ainge and actually kind of robbed him in a trade where usually Danny Ainge is always the one that's basically sniping off people. I mean, Jared Vanderbilt is a steal for the Lakers. The fact that they were able to get rid of Russ in this trade uh, with a you know lightly protected first round pick, but get back Jared Vanderbilt and all these other pieces, it's a great trade. Uh, for the Lakers because they all along were saying they weren't going to give up their picks unless they could get some like pieces, young pieces that they can build around. Jared Vanderbilt defensively already has it. Offensively, you know, if he just has to want to, you know, he's going to build that around his game. So uh, I think that was a great, great trade for the Lakers. Yeah, to your point, Ohm, uh defensively, him and AD together have been dominating. The Lakers have been dominating. They're holding teams. When they're on the court together, I think it's 166 minutes together so far. They're holding teams under a point per possession, and that's that's huge. And you know, if you can play defense in this day and age of this era of the NBA, if you can play solid defense, you really have a chance. And I agree with you. AD's uh, really his career really improved, and certainly his time with the Lakers when he took his game offensive game inside instead of outside in when he. He's basically almost gone away from the three-point shot and really focused on the paint. And his dominance has really improved since then. And like you said, the first month and a half, he was our MVP of the league before he got hurt. So I think, yeah, Vanderbilt has been absolutely tremendous for them. Pairing him with AD in that lineup for those minutes on the court have been absolutely fantastic for the Lakers. In today's offensive game, we we don't like there are very few stoppers now that actually can really make a difference. Yeah, there's a stopper here and there, like Draymond Green or or Marcus Smart. They can make us a, a critical defensive stop at the end of a game to help win that game. Uh, Draymond stopping Jokic at the end of I think it was a game four last year comes to mind. But how when's the last time you remembered a player defensively taking over a game like Jared Vanderbilt did when the Lakers beat the Mavericks and literally impacting that game with just his defense? Um, I think that's kind of rare to see. So you have one of those guys that can do that, especially come playoff time. That is such a big advantage for them. Absolutely. And the one word I always throw out when it comes to the Lakers and what I've been noticing is just urgency. They have the urgency that they lacked last year at this point in time in the season. And it's been really fun to kind of watch, especially uh, even in games when LeBron's been out. I mean, they just continue to compete at a whole different level than what we've seen in years past. So uh, definitely need to continue to keep an eye on the LA Lakers and heading into our fourth quarter here. Ohm, got to talk about world B's New York Knicks. I mean, another impressive win on the road without Jalen Brunson and their leader. 
and a career game for Emmanuel quickly. Um, what have you thought of the New York Knicks after uh, their acquisition of Josh Hart? And uh, will this team ever lose? I mean, they're undefeated with Josh Hart. Are they going to lose a game the rest of the way? Oh, God, don't get don't get Knicks fans going like that. Uh, as, as Bruce knows, I spent like uh, nearly two decades in New York. So uh, I'm very attuned to the New York Knicks fan state of mind. Um, I thought the Josh Hart trade was absolutely terrific for them. Did I think like, like, look, Josh Hart is the type of guy that New Yorkers love. I mean, he's a guy that's going to grind things out. He plays bigger than his size. He's going to take on guys no matter how big they are and run into them like a Mack truck. Um, and I think he's underrated, his versatility. Um, I got to cover Josh Hart when he started his career with the Lakers. And he's also from Silver Spring, Maryland, which I'm originally from. So I've kind of followed his career along the way. And he's a winner. You know, where he goes, he he, yep. he likes to win. He cares. Uh, eventually, maybe his perimeter shooting could be something that Nick fans would groan about if if somehow teams are making him shoot and it's coming down to the last few minutes and then depending on that. But otherwise, I mean, I think he's going to be per the perfect fit for Thibodeau. And so it has been. And I think also his his um, chemistry with Jalen Brunson, I think, is really going to help this team right now. All the pieces are fitting together. I just hope Tibbs doesn't run them into the ground by playing them a ton of minutes. I think I saw quickly played 50 minutes the other night. Uh, it was like a double time game. 55. 55. That is something that I always am concerned about. Tibbs is my dude, but you know, he just, he wants to win every game. That is part of what is great about his coaching. But at the same time, you just hope that this doesn't kind of like impact him later on down the stretch. I understand that they're playing for seeding. I think they're one game out of fourth right now. Um, and maybe uh, four games behind Philly. So they're probably not going to catch Philly. Uh, but the fact that they're here right now and the way they're playing is terrific. I just hope, you know, they haven't hit their stride yet. I kind of want to see this come playoff time. I think they're going to be a tough out the the way they're playing, if they can stay healthy. And Jalen Brunson, man, he just continues to surprise me because we were all thinking like, wow, that was a lot of money to give Jalen Brunson. But you know what? Now it's almost like, man, eh, maybe the Knicks could have paid him more money because yeah. he impacts winning. And that's the thing. Like the other day, I think uh, I was doing this YouTube show for ESPN and we were talking about like we have this ridiculous thing where it's like you max one guy, you trade one guy and you wave one guy. And of course, in real life, you would never do it for these three guys, but they always make it a, an impossible three to pick from. <laughs> and I think it was Jalen Brunson, Trey Young and Tyrese Halliburton. And you know what? I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I usually if you just think of a straight talent. I would have thought, yeah, Trey Young and Tyrese Halliburton are more talented and more, you know, more probably more skilled than Jalen Brunson. But I ended up maxing Jalen Brunson because he wins. Wow! Like he impacts he he impacts the team mentality. You know, all you need to do is look at the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic and understand what they lost and how bad they feel about it. And then you see what he's done in New York to come in and do it in New York, a city where they just. They view point guards differently than anywhere else in the country. There's more pressure on point guards in New York City than anywhere else, right? New York City wants a point guard all the time to win. Jalen Brunson has done that. He's crafty. I mean, he's been incredible. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else more to say about him. They need to keep playing Boston every game because, you know, <laughs> the, the, way, the way my beloved Celtics have been playing, they have definitely shown that they have a big, big problem. Uh, they are a finesse team. 
And I don't know. I, I always felt all season they had a team that could win the championship. But I don't know if they have the physical toughness that a championship team needs. I mean, quickly, absolutely humiliated them on Sunday night. He was, you know, he was just skipping around and waving his hands and doing all this stuff. And all I was could think of was, next time he goes to the bucket, this dude needs to hit the floor. Go to the free throw line and get your two points. You know, pull a Charles Oakley on him to... Oh, that's old, that that's old Nick. school type of thinking, Bruce. I uh, understand. I understand, but it's like somebody that'll get you a couple games too. Now he didn't. He didn't. He didn't <laughs> feel any defense at all. He was so quick. They probably couldn't have fouled him if they tried because he was so much quicker than everyone on the court. But you know, Boston really has a problem. They're a soft team, and they lost again tonight in overtime to Cleveland when they missed a free throw with 0.8 seconds left that would have won the game. Grant Williams and they lost. So. Um, I think Boston really is trending in a bad direction, and I'm not sure what's going to get them turned around. I don't know, Bruce. The thing is, like, they were going so well. I thought it was like, man, it's going to be hard to sustain this. Uh, but I, I think through the season, we saw a couple inflection points for them that were critical for me. One, I was I was with the Warriors in the finals, so I covered the finals last year. And I thought the, the Warriors got breaks every round that they played. The first one they played Denver, there was no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. Second round, uh, Grizzlies weren't experienced enough to beat them, and John Morant gets hurt. Third round, it was Dallas, and Dallas just wasn't ready that, to be there. Golden State gets to the finals, and guess what? Boston should have won the finals, but they just weren't experienced enough to pull those games out and know how to win at home. Like, that's where they should have taken care of business, and they couldn't, and they let the Warriors off the hook and the Warriors' championship experience, and then Steph explodes for that game. That's what won them the championship. So they come back this season, and you think, okay, they now have that experience in the finals with knowing what it takes to win a big game. But that game that they went to at Golden State for that first rematch, and Golden State beat them pretty handily, like, I was like, oh, because the Celtics were in playing the Clippers not long after that, and it felt like they were in this mental hangover. That like they wanted to prove themselves so much in that game and they couldn't do it that you were like, this still feels like a young team that's still kind of learning. And we forget that we take it for granted because Tatum and Brown are so good. And so I just thought, OK, you know, maybe there's some there's some weaknesses or some vulnerabilities. And then Kawhi kind of took over that game, played really well against them. And so I, I just think like I think Boston's still a good team. We, they still need Brogdon back. They need Robert Williams to be healthy. I think they can still have that toughness. But, yeah, I, I do think that they're not as good as we thought they were when they were looked like they were going to run away with the East. Still think they have a chance, Bruce. I, I'm not willing to get, use the S word with them. But but I, I do think, like, it's, it's going to be a grind in the Eastern Conference, and it could be Milwaukee, it could be Philly, it could be Boston. Yeah, you know, uh, you're right about the – the uh, Brogdon needing to come back because they they really don't trust the Celtics right now. They only played eight guys in that double overtime game last night. That's that's unbelievable for just to have eight guys play that many minutes. So yeah, having Brogdon back, you need the depth. I think that's one of the things that helped the Knicks out with Josh Hart is providing not just depth but really talented uh, depth. They they got a rotation off the bench now, which is uh, a solid group of guys off the bench you can and uh i think you know we didn't mention Jer uh, julius randall but he's been on fire he's averaging almost 12 points a game in the first quarter during this nine game win streak that's ridiculous it's just to average double digits i think what six seven out of nine games in the 
in the uh, win streak. He scored 10 points at least by the end of the first quarter. That's, you know, it's shooting over 50% in the first quarter for, from three. So he's really stepped up. I wish he wouldn't uh, just completely turn his back to the basket so many times like he did last night and have the Celtics come and pick his pocket numerous times. But uh, yeah, things are going good in New York, obviously. And I think I'm with you because I think Boston, they'll get it together. There's just too much talent there to uh, to not get done. They're, they're one of the few teams that I think it's what them, the Sixers, and the Cavs that are top 10 in offense and defensive efficiency. So that's going to go a long way once you get into the playoffs, I think. But they de- they definitely need to have uh, a healthy group to make a run. I think they're probably going to be better off if they finish behind Milwaukee <laughs> because they would then, if they were to win a first-round series, they would get Philadelphia, who they've dominated this year, as opposed to Cleveland or New York, who have both given them just like nightmares this season. So, uh, you know, go Bucks, go Celtics too, but go Bucks a little bit more. <laughs> I like to hear that, Bruce. And one follow-up question here, Owen, before we get to our mailbag part of the show here. Um, obviously, it's easy to discuss this now, but if we look back at Emmanuel Quickly's second half of the year, he's really put it all together, playing extremely well. Do you think he's got a shot? to win the sixth man of the year award or is it a little too late to uh, kind of throw him in that conversation? Uh, I think he'll definitely be in the mix. And of course, if he, if he finishes strong here, I think that's something that can resonate with voters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Norm Powell obviously had a, a, a good chance, but then he got hurt. So yep. Malcolm Brogdon, people are all going to, is going to be in the mix. Um you know, I mean, Tyrese Maxey probably right. I think Maxey's come off the bench yeah. a lot. So, like, I, I think it's gonna, it's gonna just depend on like who I think really finishes the season hot. Six man is a very difficult thing to vote on. Yeah. I think that's why you see so many times Lou Williams winning it for a long time because it was like, for a while there, it was like not everybody came off the bench every single game, and so you kind of like want to be true to that sense of a six man. Um, and stay and look and see like, okay, well, Lou Williams, he was coming exclusively off the bench, you know? So yeah. that's for me, when I vote six man, uh, defensive player of the year is always a tough one too, because like some people just look at the blocks and the rebounds and just say, okay, this is it. Other people look at analytics or defensively the overall team, how much they're holding teams. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a tough one to pick. Six man is always a competitive one. Absolutely. Definitely agree there. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get to our mailbag listener submitted question uh, for you, Ohm. And Max wants to know, uh, does Terrence Mann fit into the Clippers playoff rotation? And is there a route for him to be closing games, especially in their five out lineups? Well, I think Max is probably talking for a lot of Clipper fans who want to see Terrence Mann play a lot more. And we're upset that Terrence Mann was taken out of the starting lineup when Russell Westbrook came along because the Clippers had won 10 of 14 games before the Russell Westbrook edition. So uh, I think he's definitely part of the playoff rotation. You're not going to have to worry about that. Finishing games, though, is going to be a little tougher. I think for Ty Lue, it's all based on who's playing well, who's hitting outside shots, and who is able to defend. I think Terrence Mann checks off a lot of those boxes except for the outside shooting. I think like at times you might see Terrence Mann miss a three in the early in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden – Tyloo goes to somebody else, maybe Eric Gordon or something like that. That's part of the, the the good thing about the Clippers depth, and the bad thing is that 
Uh, they have a lot of depth and they have a lot of options. And so then you might see Terrence Mann come out. I do think Terrence Mann might be next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, their best on-ball defender that can guard in the perimeter. And certainly they have difficulties trying to stop young young guards, quick guards from getting into the paint. Terrence Mann probably is their best alternative to that. So if Terrence Mann is able to hit shots and is able to really impact the game, like getting to the rim like he's able to do and bringing that energy like he did against Utah in the, in the second round a couple of years ago, then I think you could see Terrence Mann finish the games. Gotcha. And we want to thank Max for his question on tonight's mailbag. And uh, with that, Bruce, we'll let you tee off tonight's final thoughts. <clears throat> okay. According to some media reports, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver is on a short list to succeed Bob Iger as head of Disney sometime next year. It makes sense on a number of levels. First of all, he's more than qualified after running NBA Entertainment under David Stern and then becoming Deputy Commissioner and eventually succeeding David Stern as Commissioner in 2014. Adam has negotiated multi-billion dollar contracts with various networks and other content providers. Adam is extremely comfortable around talent, whether it be star players or TV talent like Cassidy Hubbard of ESPN. Hi, Cass. Say hello, Om. Go, Cass. <laughs> <laughs> so prior to Iger taking over uh, uh, Disney, the Disney home last November, the previous head of Disney, Bob Chapek, was not good with talent and creative types, and it hurt the company badly. Adam also happens to be friends with former NBA entertainment colleague Willow Bay, who co-hosted NBA Inside Stuff from 1991 to 1998. Besides being dean of the USC Journalism School, Willow Bay is also married to none other than, drumroll please, Disney president Bob Iger. Adam's qualifications are impeccable, and his personal connection to the man he'd replace probably won't hurt his chances if he wants the job. Well said there, Bruce. World B, what do you have for a final thought here tonight? Well, you guys know, and anybody who's listened to the show knows that I'm a humongous uh, Palo Ban Bancaro fan. I thought he, at one point, thought he should have been on the All-Star team. That was a long time before they actually announced it, so don't, don't worry. I didn't consider him a snub when it was all said and done. And it seemed like a lock after about six weeks or two months that he was going to be Rookie of the Year. And I don't think that has really changed as far as him being the favorite, but it's a much closer race now than it. It's not a lock anymore, basically, because even though he is uh, still the only rookie averaging 20 a game and he's getting the starts, he's also averaging six and a half boards a game. He's coming <clears throat> off a month where he shot one for 33 from three point range. That was a streak that went into March. It ended up being one for 35 from deep before he actually uh, last few games got a couple of threes. And in that process, there have been some other rookies that have stepped up and you can absolutely uh, make a case at this point that they should at least be considered. Uh, the biggest of which for me lately has been Jalen Williams over with the thunder. And since the all-star break, he's got an effective field goal percentage of almost 65%. It's fourth best in the league, not just rookies in the league since the all-star break. He's definitely stepped up his game with the opportunities. And we, you know, there's also guys like Walker Kessler, who's averaging 11 boards over the last six weeks. Keegan Murray, who is one of the options that the Kings look to on offense on a team that's the number one offense in the league. So there's a lot of guys that can make a run at this award. If Ben Carroll can't 
you know, finish, uh, get away from the rookie wall, as it were. He's still the favorite, but it's not a lock anymore. Hey, World B, are you concerned that the two Jalen Williamses on Oklahoma City are going to split the vote? People are thinking they're <laughs> voting for one and they vote for the wrong guy. I'll I'll wait and see how that turns out. I, I, I think we still got a few more years before you have to real voting irregularities talk. <laughs> and Ohm, how about you? What do you have for a final thought here tonight? Um, I'd like to say goodbye to an old friend of many in the NBA and David Benner, um, Indiana Pacers media relations guru. Um, for a lot of fans, they don't know this side of the world of the NBA, but we are unable to do our jobs unless you have somebody who's very good in media relations, such as David Benner, who was the best at what he did for a very long time. And when I was a young reporter starting out in New York at the New York Daily News, the Knicks and the and the and the Pacers were engaged in many playoff battles, and so uh, you know, basically, the Daily News came up with a headline. I think it was Knicks versus Hicks, and of course, so the Pacers and everybody in Indiana hated anybody from New York, and that included like back then because guys were on teams and they were entrenched on teams. Reggie Miller used to look at the New York media as also the enemy, along with the New York Knicks. And so, you know, uh, Mark Jackson, all those guys, Jalen Rowe was always nice to me. Mark Jackson was nice to me too, but did sometimes have issues with whatever headline was written in the daily news. And I would always have to explain to him, I don't write the headlines, but that's a whole nother story. But David Benner never treated me that way. He always treated me like I was one of his own beat writers in Indiana, even though as a young kid coming from New York, he always helped me do my job. At that time, I was always the guy that would go do the other team. Frank Isola covered the Knicks. I was a guy that would cover the other team and spend all the time on the road until the Knicks moved on. And so I spent a lot of time around David Benner, spent a lot of time in Indiana, and he just always treated me with respect, always helped me, um, always when I was there. There was, there, was, there was one instance, though. Reggie Miller is the only player that I've ever traveled to another city to go do a feature on it was after the Knicks beat the beat the Pacers on Larry Johnson's four-point play, if you remember. The next season, I was I was sent to Indiana to do a, a piece on the Pacers and how they would – I think they made a lot of moves that season. And I told David Benner, I'm going to need Reggie. And he said, yeah, no problem. Come on in. Reggie avoided me for three straight days. And David Benner wow. did all he could to get Reggie to talk to me. And it, I still don't – I don't hold David Benner at fault here because he tried – tried his best to get Reggie to talk to me, but that was David Benner. Most of the PR guys, they wouldn't have even tried. And so we lost David Benner. Um, he passed away last week. It was a big blow for everybody in the NBA. He was a big part of my NBA life. Like Bruce, he was another guy that's come along and really kind of helped my career, um, really kind of believed in me and gave me an opportunity to do things and get stories that I probably otherwise would not have get. So I just want to um, pay my respects and remember David Benner. No doubt. And thanks for sharing that wonderful story about uh, Mr. Benner. I think that's great to hear and for fans to to hear as well. Just what what a great man he was around around the game. And one follow up I have on that, uh, Ohm, is I, I got to ask, with all the TNT games that go on in L.A., have you ever <laughs> approached Reggie um, to this day you know, about I don't, that? I don't know if, if I don't know if Reggie would remember me. Um, like I remember one time like so Mark Jackson got mad at me. Because I, Mark Jackson made kind of like a roundabout guarantee before I want to say it was like a game six or seven against the Knicks that, the, you know, the he said 
It was the last. It was the last season of Conseco. Uh, it was last season of Market Square Arena before they would go to Conseco Fieldhouse, and he was asked about Conseco Fieldhouse, and Mark Jackson said, "Yeah, when we move in there, it'll be nice because we're gonna be um, we're gonna be raising a banner." Well, the Pacers were still in the middle of a playoff series with the Knicks, so of course, all the New York papers took it as Mark Jackson's guaranteeing uh, victory. So, of course, our paper ran with some headline like Jax guarantees something. So Mark Jackson was taking issue with that with me. And Jalen Rose came in and was like, is everything OK here? What's going on? And he like was trying to break it up being Jalen, you know, uh, Reggie. I think maybe he would know. Like I see him in a hallway. Like, I, I don't know. I, I never we, I don't think he's ever, I don't know if he would remember or not, to be honest with you. But I'll tell you, man, Reggie knew I was waiting for him. For three yeah. straight days. I waited on a shoot around. I waited in the locker room pregame. I waited in the locker room postgame. And he just, you know, he just would not talk to me. And I, I get it. I mean, like I said, back then it was built differently. The rivalries were different. I mean, Larry Johnson, it was it's weird. He used to thought that he used to think that the, the New York media was actually like on his side for some reason, even though we were, you know, we covered them objectively. And of course, if something went wrong, we were gonna rip the New York Knicks, right? But but when it came time for that, like Larry Johnson didn't want to talk to media from the outside because uh, from other states or from other teams, because he always thought like, you know, they were kind of like part of the enemy. That's kind of how the NBA was back then. I kind of miss it, to be honest. So you're the only guy that could get Reggie Miller to like not talk. And now, I mean, nobody can <laughs> shut him up, right? Yes. Yes. And Reggie Miller is very good at his job. I give him that. He but is. yes. Reggie Miller is the only guy that I mean, covering NFL and NBA that I've traveled to a city to go get and did not get him. It's fine. I think the story still turned out well without Reggie. I think we were able to use Reggie quotes out of a scrum, but was not able to get Reggie on the side. Well, um, I appreciated your final thought because it leads right into mine here. And my final thought is on the Indiana Pacers. And uh, I just want to announce they're not dead yet. They pulled off a huge road win in Chicago against the Bulls on Sunday and are now tied with the Bulls, being just a game and a half back of the 10th and final play-in spot that's currently held by the Wizards, who just lost to the Bucks on Sunday night. And earlier in the season on this show, we've talked and gave praise to both Halliburton's leadership and impact on the Pacers, as well as Rick Carlisle's coaching. And it sure seems like we better catch ourselves sleeping and continue to uh, monitor Indy going forward. They have 17 games remaining as of taping here tonight, and uh, three of those games are against the Detroit Pistons. Um, They somehow haven't faced the Pistons in their own division much this season, and uh, also have matchups against the Houston Rockets, Charlotte Hornets, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. So as they've proven, and we've learned all year long, with a healthy Tyrese Halliburton and a head coach in Rick Carlisle, uh, never count them out. So definitely keep an eye on the, in the Indiana Pacers moving forward. And Ohm, with that, uh, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. We want to thank you for joining us here tonight. Uh, sure was a lot of fun uh, having you on to talk hoops with us. And uh, we want to appreciate, uh, we want to thank and appreciate all our listeners uh, for following along and staying up to date in 48 on all things around the association as well. We'll be back on Friday and Hope everyone has a great rest of their day. Take care.